Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Green Meridian Podcast. You know, we are in construction. Even if you're just designing, you are in it. You have very real responsibilities and legal liabilities that are tied to the execution of your drawings and your proposals. Something will always go wrong. Despite all the negative connotations and counterintuitive to what you might think, it's advisable to set that expectation with your client very early. I will actually tell clients well in advance, something is definitely going to go wrong here, so let's just anticipate that. This could be anything, really. It could be a snap twig, or it could be a dug fur falling on the client's roof. So we know that projects can go south. It's really important to bring an early awareness to the dynamics of the site, access in and out, anticipated material staging, personnel assignments, subcontracting, permits, inspections, and all the issues that might cause delay or destruction. And of particular concern, I think, is the nuance of the client dynamic. Importantly, you'll want to protect yourself clearly and contractually by carefully describing what you are providing and conversely, what you won't be doing, as well as payment, dispute resolution, and your warranty provisions. We'll be talking about agreements on another episode, so look that up. Be careful in your documents being what I call specifically vague. Being specifically vague means supplying comprehensive information, but also allowing for change, substitution, and importantly, flexibility. Let's talk about the first big issue that can arise, not understanding the client. You may often have solo clients, but here we are primarily talking about a married couple and, of course, single-family home properties in particular. As important as getting familiar with the site is, the fact that you need to get to know your client as well, not just what kind of project they're looking to have done or what their anticipated budget range might be, but what do they do for a living? How do they make decisions? A professional painter might have a completely different decision-making process from an actuarial attorney. How busy are they? How attentive? These pink flags, let's call them, can be waving bright red later on if you don't see them early. In particular, try to get insight into the marriage dynamic. Who's the decider? Who's the aesthetic? Who's the pragmatic budget person? Do they make choices together or apart? The client personality is the key that unlocks everything. And your rapport is 90% of what you need to be attentive to and what they will commission you on your plan about your installation or your care contract as well. When you're setting the expectations with the client, consider who, what, when, where, and how. Who's doing the work? What's the scope? When will it be done? And in what order? And how is it going to be implemented? 
why, of course, you will likely cover in the normal course of your discussions, but maybe you should cover that base as well if that's unclear. So what are some of the common reasons that your outdoor project goes awry? Why do projects go south? Let's talk about a very obvious item that can cause a project to go south, and that is not establishing a clear budget before you move ahead. You'll need to separate out items that are not known, and you'll need to note anything that is going to be considered as a time and materials thing. This is a particular importance also if you're just doing design, because if you're doing estimating as part of your design, which I am a big advocate for, then you're going to need to know how each task is generally going to be implemented in order to figure out the production rates around them. You're also going to want to figure out which items are going to be options or addendas or change orders, perhaps during the job. And those are items that might go beyond budget or be perhaps a second phase that gets implemented during the first phase uh, as an add-on item with the attendant increase in investment and time. And then also, you might want to be slightly aware of some of the investments that would have to be made and selections that would be, have to be made around substitutions and materials. One of the keystone ingredients of keeping a project on track is to have an ironclad agreement. So your contract documents need to include, and we've talked about this in another podcast here, uh, the lien notice, the, the model disclosure notice, that is this kind of like a warning about payment for you as a contractor, for example, and also something that reassures the client about the fact that they can check into certain aspects of your trade and understand what processes are available for them for uh, resolving any kind of payment dispute. Uh, your agreement will, of course, have to have specifics about scope and non-included items, changes in the scope and how those are going to take place, uh, what goes into the selections of materials, and what happens when there's a delay. You'll need text related to your limitations of project management, and of course you'll need information regarding the payment and the warranty and dispute resolution. The lack of this kind of thing can cause a project to go south very quickly, and it may be that it is a second generation kind of problem because many and most of all of your problems would just be worked out during uh, simple meetings and discussions. But when you have to mention the agreement as a function of solving a problem, things are getting generally fairly serious. These are some of the missed cues before, during, and after the execution of the project that you should be aware of. First of all, an obvious one is not starting with a clear and well choreographed startup. That is, the person who's starting the project, whether it is a crew lead that is working on a construction crew that you're working with, or as the designer, the subcontractor that you're meeting out in the field, does not have a clear, well considered idea of how to proceed. In that regard, you need to match the talent to the task, and that's oftentimes difficult in this kind of hiring environment, but generally having an awareness around that and whether the person is really suited to what's being assigned to them and how much supervision they're going to need may inform your thinking about when you visit and how often you're checking in. You need to have 
a clear schedule for visits and management, because if you have an unclear schedule, that's of course a missed cue and you're going to be missing at a critical time when plants are being placed or a hardscape edge is being aligned to be parallel with something else that's going to involve then rework if it's not done properly. Another missed cue is to not have materials specified that are suited appropriately to the task at hand or perhaps become unavailable prior to ordering just when you need them. So doing the legwork that's involved in that is a critical element of what you need to be doing. A lack of careful staging overall, checking the availability of plant materials and hardscape elements, uh, deliveries and set-aside areas on site where things are going to be placed so that they don't have to be moved twice or they don't impede someone's egress in and out of the property. Verifying contractor's availability, that's critical now because some contractors who don't show up might leave a trench open for an extra week or uh, you know, something of that nature, a fence contractor that's not there when you're buttoning up the job site could leave a huge mess that is then going to have to be addressed by you later. And then, of course, incidental items that need to be scheduled that can be very time consuming if they're not on site, uh, portalettes in particular, and then, of course, utility markings if they're not done and something happens and uh, a utility line or an underground obstruction is encountered that was not identified that could have easily been identified. Another thing to consider is doing a horticultural project in the wrong time frame. Horticultural timing is critical, at least in the Pacific Northwest in particular. You've got a window of between, I don't know, say Easter, Ramadan, and uh, maybe Memorial Day within which to plant seed in order to have it come up before there's a summer dormancy. And then uh, again, you have a period from about Labor Day to the middle of October in which you can seed for fall. Most of the lawn seed needs about three weeks to come up, about six weeks to become a very viable lawn. And so the first impending freeze date is varies, of course, but is usually considered to be around October 15th. And if you don't have your seed in, say, at least three weeks prior to that, you're probably not going to have a viable lawn. So that's a risk. Plant availability also varies quite a bit during the year and can spike in early spring, mid spring, but then will taper off after September and October and be uh, very minimal from November and December. There's a digging period for large trees in which if you're planting a large tree, you may not be able to get a tree that's not containerized until October or November. So if you're doing something that is a dug tree, you're not gonna be doing that uh, at least in this location, in this region, uh, between March and, uh, say, October. So be aware of all of that. And then, of course, heat waves and all of the criteria around weather that can affect the installation, either ongoing or afterwards, need to be at least thought about as you're starting to choreograph the project overall. A big red herring is an unreliable workforce, whether it's a uh, small crew schedule in which one person calls in sick or becomes unavailable, and now you've got a single person out on a job site working very inefficiently, inefficiently. But um, thinking about how the workforce is going to be choreographed on the job site is critical. And then there is a general need, of course, for follow-up care uh, by your company and to the client with regard to uh, punch list items and things like that that might need to be addressed that are going to be um, little niggly things that if they don't 
get uh, dealt with can cause all kinds of problems after the fact. And it might be something very minor, uh, like trash that's left on site or something like that. So these are all things that are what I would call missed cues that happen before, during, and after construction. In order to keep your project on track, one idea is to template out your typical workflow. If you think about it, you're doing these same tasks on a repeated basis for various projects. You probably do the same thing in many cases over and over. And if you can compartmentalize that, we've talked about this before, and put it into a predictable manner, it will help your projects to stay on track and help everything to stay in alignment. You might want to look at how Kanban boards work and look at the methodology around Kanban and see if that is something that would interest you because that is a really innovative way to uh, stage work and inform your thinking about uh, where something stands in the flow of the overall work and how one thing affects another. List out those tasks that you do routinely and edit those to fit into a calendar. Listen to our Green Meridian podcast episode, Organizing Your Time as a Designer, as well, where we discuss scheduling yourself and how to set those repeat appointments to the job site and for office tasks so that you don't overbook yourself and you'll keep your project on track and moving along. Thanks again.